Welcome to Core Nourishment. I'm Annie Wagner, your host. This podcast is designed to empower, inspire, ignite presence, purpose, and intention in your day. Welcome back to the Core Nourishment Podcast. I'm Annie Wagner, your host. And gosh, here we are, October 2020. And I continue just to roll through the ebbs and flows of this year and this podcast. And every time I have the opportunity to interview someone, I am just so enlivened and grateful um, and inspired. So thank you to everyone who continues to tune in and support me. If you haven't already done so and wouldn't mind, please go to iTunes and offer a rating and a review. I would greatly appreciate it. And if you would like to be a guest on my podcast, or perhaps you know of someone else who would be interested, please reach out, connect with me, send them my way. You can find me at anniewagoner.com or on Instagram and Facebook at Core Nourishment. So for episode 36, I had the enormous pleasure of connecting virtually with Valerie Ashley. She is a trauma and grief therapist, also known as a trauma-focused career coach, and really applies knowledge to helping survivors create professional identity and work through potential triggers. She empowers people to come back and to discover their strengths. I actually was thinking about the title of Hope and Resilience Alchemist after I walked away from the interview with her. Um, She is just absolutely inspiring and the energy that Valerie pours into her work, her purpose is so powerfully felt and contagious. And she really wants to help other professionals see the importance of that link of how trauma really travels with people through every part of life. And that there really is, um, it seems to be a big gap between work life and their trauma in personal life, or at least that's what um, people think or believe. And Valerie is here to kind of break through that and help people connect. So we dive into, gosh, all things like what, what kind of people come to see her and how she starts that process with, with them. Um, Also how COVID has really impacted um, a lot of her clients and other people who've reached out to her simply during this time. Um, We talked about what nourishes Valerie and self-care and nature baths um, and also about her own childhood experience and um, especially in relationship to her mother and what brought her to this work and to such a transformation and beautiful healing opportunity for herself and her mother. Um, It is such a such a a beautiful episode and I really encourage you to tune in, take a moment to pause and enjoy. recording we're live hey (laughs) Valerie I am so excited to connect with you it's been so fun to be more in touch over the last year Um, and 
Yeah, just I feel so enlivened by what you offer and do. Um, and I can't wait just to dive more into you and like your story in this episode today. So um, I love to start with the question, what is, what's lighting you up? What's nourishing you today? Great, great. So, uh, well, lots of things nourished me. Mm-hmm. Um, my kids nourish me. My husband nourishes me. Um you know, the fall season nourishes me. And um, as we've been talking about, the work that I do is also very nourishing. Um, And the work that I do is I am a trauma and grief therapist, but I've specialized in working with trauma survivors on how their trauma impacts their ability to create a sustainable Um, healthy professional life Um, and I've worked at that for a long time um, and for the for about a little more than 20 years Uh, and up until now it feels has always felt like people just glazed over when I started to talk about it uh, because I think it's a new concept and I, I know it's a new concept, and at the same time, I think it's a critical piece of work that's missing from what we do as trauma therapists. So mm-hmm. my, my sense is that as trauma therapists, we do the processing of trauma kind of up until that door of when someone, you know, in someone's personal life, but we don't go through the door and sort of start to explore, well, if it's happening in your personal life, it's got to be happening in your work life. And since work life is so important to who we are as people and developing a sense of ourselves, you know, it's important for social contact, for creating identity. Um, I don't, I, I guess I haven't understood why we are not walking through that door. Why is so, it such a block? Yeah. And the, so that question, um, I've worked at answering and am now trying to let people know out there who may identify with some of what I'm saying that there is that there is a connection between your trauma and your ability to create the work life that you want to. That is powerful, Valerie. And yeah, it's fascinating to me and listening to you, I naturally am like, oh yeah, of course there's a connection. I mean, we when we're working, most people work with other people, whether that's directly or, you know, um, one-on-one or the the fact that we're just connected and relational, you know, I think that um, I can only imagine how various trauma can impact or be layered into the work environment. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just say that's amazing that you're able, I love that you saw that as such a need and dove right in and then got curious, you know, that's something that I've noticed about you and just our conversations um, that I love is you're, you're just beautifully and intensely curious and you ask mm-hmm. such good questions, Valerie. Um mm-hmm. And so I imagined, you know, that's helped you get even more clear about, okay, how, how do I help educate others around this um, right. professionals and then, right. and then support um, so many people in need. And I can only imagine uh, maybe for later um, how COVID has impacted. All right. Of as well, so. right. Well, yeah. I mean, I think um, 
So I think it, I do want to talk about COVID in a minute or two, whenever. Uh, but I think also it's about helping um, trauma therapists to look at this piece of processing and hopefully bring it into their practice. But it's also about reaching those people who I know are being impacted because I work with them. And for so long, many people that I work with have said to me, oh, I just felt like something was wrong with me. And there isn't anything wrong. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it, with people who are having dealing with the effects of trauma in and on their ability to create this sustainable work life. And I say that because I think a lot of trauma survivors don't actually end up in healthy or sustainable work situations. So mm-hmm. um, let me just say a little bit about that, if that's yeah, okay. Definitely. Yeah. So um, when you, I, I want to kind of walk it back all the way to when uh, a person starts to look for a job. And the reason I want to do that is that it's not just about the relations and relationships and relational aspects of having a job, but it's actually about trying to get a job. Um, so, and that's the part that I, I really see um, clearly gets in people's way long before having a job does. So if you don't lay the foundation for how you go about getting a job, a lot of times for survivors, the job that they get leads them back into repetition of the trauma that they've experienced. So I know that's a big thing to say, but so let me just back up. So if you are a trauma survivor, chances are that you haven't even developed a sense of who you are or want to be professionally. So people in my community call that a professional identity. Um, And to form a professional identity, when you look at the literature even, um, you know, famous career development specialists and researchers talk about about how you have to understand yourself, have some insight into yourself. And you have to, you know, generally the process is that you learn about sort of vicariously or by osmosis about jobs from the people that are right around you. So that's your family, the community at large, you know, let's say a teacher or a pastor or someone in a church or a religious organization. And when you're being traumatized all the time or living in chaos, your brain is not going to pick up on that information. That's one part of it. And the second part of it is that chances are that you're you're living around a lot of people who likewise are traumatized. Otherwise, you'd kind of been going, be going through that process. Does that make sense to you? Oh, to complete sense. Yeah, okay. so what I'm hearing is just constant triggering is happening. And then therefore, there's like a, a block or like right. off the brain can't even comprehend, you know. Right. So let me, do, yeah. Yeah. So, so what happens when you're traumatized in your brain is that it becomes your brain and it's not you, it's something that happens automatically, um, becomes dysfunctional. So your emotions are no longer regulated. Um, you may, um, you know, be, you know, lack some kind of attunement to, to your environment. There are all sorts of things that happen. And that's a, 
a function of the neurobiology of the brain. And that's so important for trauma survivors to understand that it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's literally that your brain has reacted and it reacts in order to keep you alive. That's really what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Say that again. Protection and survival. Exactly. Right. So when your brain's being used that way and, and, it does certain things. So in other words, when your brain's being used to protect you, um, parts of it don't connect anymore. So you have sort of three parts of your brain and, uh, you, you know, your brain stem or the oldest part of your brain, your midbrain, and then your frontal cortex. So the mid part of the brain is, is where you have your emotions. The brain stem is where your fight, flight, or freeze, or fawn. Mm. reactions come from and then the frontal cortex is more the executive functioning so those things start to not talk to one another so executive functioning is no longer talking to your emotional part of your brain and so you're stuck in this fight flight freeze or fawn um so the reason I'm telling you all that is is not for you to memorize it or anything, but to understand that it isn't something you are creating. It's something that your brain is doing to keep you alive. And when you come, uh, so when you come up against triggers, so those are emotional in your brain. You have a, you know, you could have a, a, a smell. You could see some um, a tree that reminds you of a certain incident in your life, a traumatic incident, and your brain starts to react that way. So, so let me just tie that to the job search process. So when you're a survivor and someone says to you, write your resume, <laughs> which is something every career counselor will say to you, that's a trigger. Mm. And the reason it, it can be a trigger is that resume writing calls on you to think about and review your history, which is something most survivors don't want to do. And the other thing is that it requires you to know something about yourself and what you're good at doing. And those are the kinds of things that have not formed. And so just the simple thing of somebody asking a person who has trauma to write a resume can throw a person's brain into that chaos that I was describing. Wow. Yeah, that's, that makes complete sense. Valerie, can you give an example when you say trauma? What, um, what, how do you define trauma? You've defined it, but how do you define, like what falls under the categories of trauma where people are coming to you for the support? They actually really have that disconnect. Right. So understanding trauma, I would, I would sort of say it more like that to understand it. So trauma is, is, you know, typically thought of as somebody, a person having a life-threatening or, um, you know, bodily harm, the sense of bodily harm happening to them. Um, And, but it can also be uh, you witnessing somebody else who's being, whose bodily harm is happening or their life is being threatened. But there are other things too. So, um, you know, everything from experiencing a divorce to losing a pet to having an untimely death occur in your life to having a serious ongoing illness or even just a serious illness, um, 
you know, I would say things like COVID um, I was about to are, say. Yeah. Right, are triggers. This is, is a huge trigger for people. So it doesn't necessarily, you know, you can also um, be traumatized by something that feels uh, life-threatening. Um, it doesn't, you don't actually have to have your body harmed. Um, so somebody can say words to you that make you feel that way. So the thing that's important to understand in trauma is that it's very, very individual. It, nobody like you, if, if you experience trauma and I experience the same trauma, like COVID, for example, we may have really different reactions. Um, and COVID's a trauma because it came, kind of came out of nowhere and we have no control over it. So we don't really know what the future holds. And that's a, that's a recipe you know, to feel traumatized. So it's, it's, uh, it's really an, in, it's really the individual who, de- you know, kind of decides if it's a trauma, if you will. Does that yeah. make sense? And I really appreciate, yes, definitely. And I really appreciate that you touch upon the fact that, you know, someone, you know, people can experience the same thing, but have a completely different response, you know, viscerally, emotionally, mentally. Um, And, and I definitely agree with you about how COVID is um, triggering so many people on on many different levels. Um, And that as much as possible, easier said than done, but, you know, encouraging everyone to let go of that comparative process because we're all, you know, landing in compassion around, we're all going this together. Um, Right. Question, Valerie, where do you see shame like link into this? So when you're working with a client or individual, I imagine, you know, that that's so interconnected with trauma. So when, when, for example, they're being asked to write a resume and then, you know, they have that immediate freeze um, mm-hmm. because fear comes up, it's, it's triggering. Um, I imagine then, you know, then there's just the shame that's the inner layered and intermixed into the experience of trauma. So is that something you directly speak to in your yeah, work? Absolutely. So think about a person. So let's give, let me give another example. So if you go on an interview and someone says, so tell me about yourself, which people say a lot, you know, the first kind of thought that can come to someone's mind is I'm a trauma survivor, but you know that that would throw everything off if you said that. Mm-hmm. Um, so then all of a sudden you're, you're, you don't know what to say. And um, then part of the trigger in that is feeling that kind of shame, like what's wrong with me and why don't I have anything else to say about myself? I don't know what I'm good at doing. I'm not good at doing anything. Uh, you know, I'll never be good at doing anything. So that, you know, shame comes into this process all the time. And even like, you know, feeling the shame of having had this happen to you, whatever it is that happened to you, and, you know, blaming yourself for it and feeling um, shame around what part did you have in it. Um, Those are the kinds of things that people think about. And it's sort of being able to, again, remove that shame, like take it out of somebody's body. I almost think about it like that oh, yeah. and put put it over in a corner so that you can look at it and, you know, kind of dissect it and 
one thing in trauma treatment that everyone always says is it's not what's wrong with you. It's what happened to you. So being able to pull that out of your body so you're not stuck in that. And it is shame. It's like something hits you and you feel badly about yourself. So I think those are the kinds of ways that I think everybody has to deal with the shame piece when you're dealing with people with trauma. Yeah. Very much. Yeah. Where, so could you, would you mind giving an example of a client and, and, and where do you begin? You know, so you've given a few examples, but, um, but what, what kind of client have you seen um, or been in touch with recently and supported and where do you start? Yeah. A lot of people ask me that question. (laughs) So, an example is I've worked with a lot of domestic abuse survivors and during COVID, as we've all read, domestic abuse went through the roof uh, and people lost their jobs. So there's sort of this double whammy because in order to be able to escape abuse and often it's financial abuse, you have to have enough money to be able to do that. And a lot of survivors don't have that. So where I start, though, is I have for a long time asked certain questions, and I have in my head, you know, a series of questions, and what I do is I start with from when uh, where a person went to high school, and I know that that might sound weird to start there, but what I know about this is that what happens in high school, those years are very critical for most people in terms of forming a professional identity, um, also in terms of, uh, you know, what are you going to do in the future? How did you make those decisions? Um, you know, how, like if, if you come from a family where you go to college, how did you decide on the college that you're going, going to go to and what did you study? And all of those questions, and I'm, I'm also able to kind of get at who the family members are then, So I'm trying to paint a picture in my head and even for the client of like where they came from and what the steps are to where they are now. So then I, I, I guess the other thing in ask starting in high school is that you learn a lot about a person's family Mm. and what the dynamics were in the family. And usually if there's abuse there, you will learn about it then. Uh, but you could learn about it later in the question-asking process. So I look at that and I ask, you know, a lot of people have uh, difficult high school experiences, which in and of themselves can be traumatic. Um, then I look at if, let's say, somebody went to college, how was the college experience? What did they study? How did they do with grades? What were their relationships like? But if you didn't go to college, then you went out into the workforce. And what was that like for you? What kind of jobs? And how did you find them? Um, and then sort of keep going up through um, somebody's experience. So if you went to college, what happened after that? How did you look for a job? Um, you know, then you start to hear about abusive experiences in the work or how someone bounces from one job to another. Um how they don't may not get along with them, uh, their employers um, and sort of get into, well, what's happening there um, and bring them all the way to the present. And I just look for patterns in those questions that are, for me, are recognizable that shout out to me, oh, something's happening here. You know, they're, 
for example, picking employers who are repetitively unhealthy, perhaps even abusive, um, and kind of getting into a situation where they're tumbling from one job to the next to the next. So these are the kind of things that I look for. And then um, usually after I've done that, I kind of have a sense of how we need to proceed or, you know, and a lot of times it's going back and forming a professional identity. I know I keep using that word, but if you don't know what you're looking for, you can't find it. You'd just be wandering around, right? Yeah, that's so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of doing that. And that, yeah, so that's kind of how I I started. That's incredible. Yeah. And and what a great, I mean, I imagine the level of trust that you, that, that, you know, that you develop um, and need to in this work um, by, by beginning there is, um, I imagine just such a great, great way to kind of just eventually get there you know because it takes right but I can only imagine the the process and that you it sounds like you really you really get to know them and then meet them where they're at and help right help them see what they're on they're so um absorbed in that they can't see those patterns right and you know usually people come to see me when they are having a problem with their job um or they lost their job so this has been interesting in COVID because so many people have lost their jobs unexpectedly very traumatically you know uh one day they're working and then two hours later they're told to go home um you know they're they don't know if they're going to have their job back sometimes they're furloughed whatever you know and that's a whole you know stuck this kind of place (laughs) that wasn't well said but you know what i mean and so if you're a person who already had trauma And now you're going through this with COVID. So not only are you going through fears about your health and getting sick, uh, but now you also have lost your job. So you're adding traumas onto other traumas. That's, to me, the real danger for people right now is that we have no idea what uh, who's being affected um, to the point where, I mean, that's one of the things that can happen. Uh, in the development of PTSD is that you have a series of different traumas. So we're kind of in a situation where statistically 70% of Americans have had at least one trauma. That's a lot of people. It's like 234 million people have had one trauma that uh, sometimes two, but that one trauma. Now, when you add on other ones, it kind of changes the shape of their trauma for them and they may see more symptoms and it may be more difficult to come out of this that's the thing that concerns me a lot Um, and especially with young people because again you know statistically something like 33 percent of young people who have experienced some kind of community violence which is another thing I want to add into this because we have this other sort of social justice upheaval where a lot of young people are involved in that and experiencing community violence as a result. 33% of those people in the younger age groups from like 18 to 25 are experiencing that kind of trauma. They may also have some trauma at home. And now you're adding on all of this other trauma about not being able to get a job 
so again, there's like, it's like a boiling stew that's where it's on its way to boiling. Right. And so I feel like there are all these things that we have to really look for and consider during this time and the outcome of it as well. Yeah. And then I think about, you know, the other piece you mentioned right away in the beginning, Valerie, which is you're also a grief therapist. So then you tie in, you know, and it's all interconnected, right. But, um, Mm -hmm. but then you tie in just the, the global tremendous loss and not just one loss, but everyone has experienced loss, but many losses, all different levels of the spectrum. Um, So I can, yeah, I can only imagine layering that into just trauma. And then how do you start to, how do people start to feel, gosh, like, like they can breathe again and and have some hope. And um, so what do you, what would you, for anyone who's tuning into this and listening and, perhaps feeling it very much resonates. Um, what would you, like, what would you recommend? Like, like um, to, to not feel like I'm imagining when you say boiling, like literally like feeling like you're tumbling in a boiling wave, you know, what, where, yeah. where do they start? So I think the first thing I can offer is just, you know, one thing is to practice um, calming your body down. And you need to do that daily. And a lot of people, I say this to a lot of people because, you know, your mind and your body are so, so connected. Um, So you need to use breathing techniques like, um, you know, four, seven, eight breathing, where you breathe in for four counts, hold for seven and exhale for eight, do that three times and do it throughout the day. Um, Because once you do that, your body sort of gets used to it. The idea that, oh, okay, this is calming my brain down. So I think just, um, I think that and I think moving. I know a lot of people have stopped moving around because of COVID. And I think it's really important to find a way to do that. And then I think that the other thing, and I, I, I don't mean to seem really Pollyanna-ish about this, but I actually see this as this amazing opportunity to, to do things differently. Um, and I think about it all the time. So I think that um, we are going to pivot a lot to online jobs. Um, I think that's going to happen. And I know that there's a group of people who can't do their jobs that way. Um, so I guess the other thing I want to say is that I think it's important to go through what your skills are and see mm-hmm. where you can match them with things that are safe to do right now. And then I guess the other thing I want to say is at some point they'll have a vaccine and we will be able to do jobs again that we did that were not online. But in the meantime, I think it's an opportunity to kind of think about what you know how to do. Uh, Maybe there are things you haven't even thought of um, and to have conversations with the people in your, your family or your community about who you are and how can you take those things and fit them in to something else as a way of getting through right now. Um, I also think that it's, it's an incredible time to, if you've always thought, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that, um, you know, learn something new. Um, when we first started to talk, we were talking about online classes and there's so much online learning now that's available that actually in some ways has become much more, um, you know, feasible for people because it's not as expensive. 
Um, there are even a lot of people offering free free training. Yeah, right. You had said yeah. that, right? And I see that too. Um, you know, I think that. So again, I know that what I'm saying is not a solution, but I'm just encouraging people to sort of sit in their strengths instead of looking at all the negatives. You have strengths. Everybody does. Um, you may not be familiar with all of them, but they're there. And I think we're so, it's really easy to get into this black, dark space of, oh my God, oh my God, you know, nothing's going to be okay. But I think pivoting from that and just really giving yourself a chance to think about what your strengths are and how could you put those to use. Um, even if you have to do something where you're not earning money right now, that's a good use of this time. I mean, obviously, I, I'm I want to be really clear that I recognize that that's just not possible for some people. Um, I think feeling not useful um, is not a good place to be. So that's sort of why I'm encouraging it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's such a incredible invitation, Valerie. Mm -hmm. um, so even, even those who are listening are like, I have no choice. Like I have to be, I have to I, be working. I'm actually in a, you know, a very important role or a nurse or um, right. you know, just needing to, and, and also need to earn money. There's this pressure, you know, um, I think what I'm hearing from you is this, there is a, there is still an opportunity. We all have a choice to just pause and, um, mm -hmm. An invitation to ask yourself, even if you're one of those people, where is your purpose? Like, where is where is your strength in in this position or in this job um, that you may feel stuck in? But how can you right. shift into? You know what? Like, I I am. Um, it, it feels really important to be supporting those who are who are ill or um, right. you know, really in need or being able to, I can bring, I can bring home money and support my family. Um, so right. well, yeah, and I, I appreciate the, I guess there's a resilience piece too. You know, I'm hearing that you're inviting people to, um, to recognize their strengths and shift into the opportunity for, for discovering even more <laughs> that resilience. Right. So two things come to my mind when you say that one is this word resilience, you know, um, what I find in people who have survived trauma is that they're incredibly resilient, like incredibly resilient. The fact that they're here and alive is a testament to that. So mm -hmm. when you feel like, I don't, I can't do this, you actually can, and you have that strength. It's like a weird, well, it's a consequence that has this benefit to it um, of experiencing trauma. And the other thing that really came to my mind when you were just saying what you were saying is self-care. Um, I have uh, worked with someone who is, in fact, a nurse. And um, she pivoted from being in the hospital to teaching. And she started to find it so stressful um, to be in the hospital. It was just too much. Uh, and she and actually what happened was she started she always has suffered from some issues with her back and they started to just become so painful and i felt like oh this is your body talking to I was you about right to say, right she says no right right yeah. exactly and so we talked about it and i 
really encouraged her to um, not continue to do what she was doing because it was so stressful and it was actually literally hurting her. Um, and, you know, she is trying to change, move and look at other things that she can do. But I think self-care, like I said to her, this is about self-care and that we all have to do that, not just, you know, certainly the people who have to work and have to be out there, you have to build in, and I don't care if it's like two minutes of your day, you have to build in something to take care of yourself. I, I'm also working with a woman who is a single mother and um, she doesn't make a lot of money and doesn't have another support person. And I said, I said that exact thing to her, I, you know, if it's because, because she kept saying, why well, I, I don't have time for that. And I'm like, do you have a minute? <laughs> yeah. Do you have, you know, do you have 50 seconds? And I'm, I'm, I'm not being facetious. I mean that. Like, I totally you agree. have to do that. And if you don't, you will start to crumble under it. So to me, everybody has to do self-care. Um, yeah. Yeah. And this has been such a, I mean, I, I'm like over here, like, yes, Valerie. Yes. Because that's, you know, that's what I'm so deeply passionate about helping women, um, not exclusive, but tend to work more with right. women and moms, like just understand um, is that our self-care, like we have to come back to nourishing ourselves first on all levels or as much as we can, even in the smallest bits so that we can show up with more health and, and presence right. and energy for our life. Um, right. And that I think this last year, eight, 10 months has really invited people to, to just to drop in a little bit more to become that much more mindful to the necessity of, of those pieces. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even, I, even though it's, <clears throat> and I hear you with like, start, get yeah, start with one minute because one minute every single day, like is cumulative and that cumulative, you know, building, as we know, the, the routines, um, right. it's so much more powerful than that all or nothing mindset that we are just so attuned to or yeah. ingrained in, you know, so. I, yeah. And I remember when this started, this, the COVID whole thing happened in March, mid-March, just everything screeching to a halt. Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, this is really interesting <laughs> because <laughs> it forced us to stop running around, you know, to like, uh, you know, my son came home and because he lived in New York and it was really unsafe for him there. And it was amazing how much easier it was to, uh, that, you know, you knew where you were going to be and you like taking off time from commuting in New York City or running out and dealing with all the in intensity all the time, just sort of calming down. And I remember thinking, wow this is going to be really good for people because that's what we need to do. Yeah. Um, it almost felt like, you know, the universe reacting to the chaos that we've been living in. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, I think that when you take care of yourself that way too, just to kind of come back to the whole issue of what, how you work. Um, I think that when you do that, especially if you've experienced trauma, you are letting your brain heal and you're let and you're letting your mind connect and those that healing and connection is what allows you to think about what's happening what you can do what your strengths are how you can move forward so it is on a continuum or maybe it's in a circle i'm not sure but at any rate 
you know, they all go together. Yeah, I love that. I love that way you just um, painted that picture, Valerie. That was really clear. Um, I'm curious. We, we began this whole conversation with what nourishes you. So when you really focus in on your your self-care personally and your rituals, um, what are some examples? Yeah, um, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is every night I take a bath at the end of the day. And it's just my time. And uh, I need to do it because I spend the day talking with a lot of people. And if I don't take care of myself, um, I won't be ready for the next day. Um, I also do things like I, and I never did this before, but I built into my uh, daily routine breaks so that, like, it was, it's interesting because I used to kind of go back to back to back. And then I started to realize, wait, I'm not really able to do that and to be fully present for the next person, which I really want to be. So the next client who comes, so I take breaks and I make sure that, you know, this might sound silly, but I make sure that I'm eating something. Oh no, it's not silly at all. Right. Um, The other day I I was going along my day and all of a sudden I was like, wait a sec, you got to eat something. Um, And a lot of uh, that for me is about showing up. Mm. You know, it's about caring for yourself. Like you've been saying uh, throughout this conversation, being able to show up for the people that you serve. And that's kind of how I feel about the work that I do, that my work is, to serve other people and also to help them discover a path forward. And in order to do that, you have to be really fully present. Um, And then, of course, I have a family. So, I mean, my kids aren't little, but they still are, you know, require my attention uh, and a husband. And, uh, you know, so I feel like I have to really be present for a lot of different people. And, I, I If I don't do self-care, then I won't do that. The other thing, and maybe last thing I'll say, is that I, I exercise. And I'm, I'm, I bike ride, which I love doing. I, I get out there and I just feel like, oh, you know, the wind's in my hair. You know, I can breathe in nice air. Um, I feel free. I was about and, to say, I'm imagining you like yeah, going right. that sense of liberation. Yeah. Right, right. And I do, I feel free and it changes my energy mm. that from the beginning to the end of the ride. I think something like that's really important. And actually, I'm struggling a little bit with the winter coming and trying to figure out how to do this thing that I love or do something else that I love equally um, that I might not be able to do all winter if it snows or it's freezing cold. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I know I, that's something that's come up a lot for people. Um, And, and, and thank you, Valerie. Like I love, I just love hearing um, your, your dedication um, and um, clarity around your self care that it's, it's a non-negotiable in many ways for you to then kind of, be of the best service that you can be in your, in your work. And it's funny as we're talking, I'm like, I love that you help people 
discover um, their strengths and 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 find eventually um, or with the intention of finding a career that really serves them and lights them up. Because when you're talking about your work, I'm like, work it, that phrase work is so funny. I'm like, this is your sole purpose, Valerie. Like exactly. Right. It's all connected. So it's just yeah. um yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. The winter piece, it is interesting. I was just having a conversation with um, another mom about the gift of, of, of nature and we are fortunate to live, you know, we're not right in an urban area, but we have a little bit of some trees around us. But even if you're in urban, just the idea of even if it's just five minutes, how powerful it can be no matter what the elements are to just get outside and, and feel your energy, um, no matter what, again, whether it's raining or snowy or icy, um, learning that that resilience that can come from just experiencing nature um, or just even the outdoors, um, no matter what yeah. the elements are. So it's not always the movement that we crave. Um, I I'm I don't like being really cold, and yet <laughs> I uh, I'll like bundle up and layer up and embrace it. Um, so I know I it might not be the same as like a bike ride in the fall for you, but um, but just getting outside and like jumping around even for five minutes, right. Well, two things that come to my mind are one is this, I read this thing, it's there's a Japanese saying for it, but the the translation is taking a nature bath. I love and that phrase, yes. Yeah. I love that phrase. And I read it and I, and so that was one thing that came to my mind. The other thing that I was, I, I, I like creativity and I think creativity in whatever form can really help people to calm themselves um and one thing that i which i just loved it was uh sort of an, from an art therapy book and it was about taking a camera like everybody has some well maybe not everybody but if you have some form of way to take a photograph to go out in nature and to be very to really observe you know to take your time and observe what's there and to take photographs um, of what you see. And just the action of honing in on things or uh, just noticing. And I love the idea of taking a picture because then you can do something else after that. But to just be really present and nature, I think is a wonderful uh, tool for self-care too. Um, so those are the two things that came to my mind when you were talking about that. Yeah, I love that. I agree. I think nature can be one of the most powerful tools and just that reminder, you know, it's kind of cliche, but, um, I've been weaving this into some of my yoga teaching recently, like the, the autumn, the leaves transforming and changing and falling remind us how, how beautiful it can be to let go, you know, just like, what, oh, can, nice. what can we learn from the, the season that we're in right now, whether that's from the outside season or the season of life or what we're all experiencing, you know? So, um, yeah. Yeah. I like and, and, and maybe letting go of some of the fears that we're stuck in. Yeah. Um, so that we open, we, we can, can look at our strengths and we can open our minds to other things. Like this is a, a you know, it's a problem-solving exercise in some ways. And I always feel like there's a way, if you have a problem, then you need to solve it. Mm. Well, you don't need to. But if you want to solve it, then to really be intentional in that way. Um, and I love that idea of, you know, 
the leaves and the changing and the letting go. I mean, I think those are things that you can talk to people about in your practice and just encourage them to be outdoors and let, let, when the leaves are falling, you let go of the things that are making you feel stuck. Um, or at least it's a way to think about it more clearly, I think, or without as much fear. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, Valerie. That's incredible. Um, so I have been thinking also before we even started this, that one of the, one of my most curious questions, and I know, I don't know how much time I'm like, we could talk all day, but I'd Um, love to know, I really want to know a little bit more. You shared a little with me, but for the listeners to hear what led you, what's your story, Valerie, that led you to, to this sole purpose and this work that you, that you do. So that it's a great question. And, um, so when a couple of things did, one was um, I come from a family um, where my parents are both immigrants and my mother um, came from France and she survived the Nazi invasion as a Jew. Um, and my father's British and he survived the Second World War in London. Um, I think that both of them had a lot of trauma. And in particular, uh, my mom was really, um, really traumatized. I mean, it's kind of like, sounds silly almost to say that when you think about uh, what people went through who were Jewish, who were in World War II. Um, And, you know, France was one of the first places where uh, Jews were taken. And my grandfather was in a camp and, I knew him. He actually made it out. So, wow. uh, yeah. But, you know, what was what's important to understand, I think, for me, is that I, um, I was just, you know, I, I lived kind of in this secretive world about that because my mom didn't want to talk about it. That was sort of her way of dealing um, with it. So... She was very shut down or well, a lot compartmentalized yeah. it. Um, I think that it, it's hard. So historically, that's how the French culture is. Yeah. They don't talk about things. And you know, my mother always used to say to me, I don't understand why Americans are always, you know, getting into other people's business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like she said, I would never ask somebody certain questions and and I think so it's a cultural thing Mm -hmm. um and I think that um I think that so there's that and then there's also that in France it took them to till 1995 to even admit that they that the French had anything to do with the internment of the Jews um so there was a lot of French collaboration so the, these are things that were secretive and, and it's a cultural thing. And uh, my mom left because she didn't want to be associated anymore with anything Jewish. And she had a Jewish last name. And interestingly, she was not a practicing Jew okay. because the, the French, uh, it's just a different culture. Um, and there was, there was, you know, when you're French, it doesn't matter whether you're Jewish or Catholic or whatever. It just matters that you're French. That's what matters. And 
you know, they have this expression, Frenchy French, which means that you're kind of pure. (laughs) But there's, so it's a cultural thing. And my mother never talked about it. And there was always this sense that something like the other shoe could drop. That's kind of, and then I went and I heard some people talk about children of Holocaust survivors, which I am. My mother is too, by the way, uh, even though she's oh, also a survivor. Just the way that was yeah. down. Yeah. Right, right. And um, anyway, one of the men who was delivering the results of a study that they'd done said that what he found was that when people grew up in a family where there was a survivor, the family had a depression of the soul. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. You know, that's what I felt like I had grown up with. And it's not, I mean, my fa- my parents are amazing people. I wouldn't want any other parents, but the fact is that that was always there. Where and did then, you feel that in your body, Valerie? Like, yeah. said that. It felt like right in my solar plexus, yeah. like, like almost took my breath away. Yeah. Because I, you know, I wasn't raised in a Jewish community, just I was actually raised in a Quaker community, which is interesting because Quakers are they um, worship in silence. So yeah, right. just add that in there. Wow. But I think so there was that whole thing that was always underlying who I was. And then and when I was nineteen, I was in a terrible accident, um, really terrible accident. and it really it's just the time when you're launching and it completely undid me. Mm. And so I think, so I was this person that I worked with, right? A lot of people yeah. at that age, they, they something happens and they get skidded off the tracks. And that was like that for me. Um, and, you know, what I didn't know what I wanted to do and I, I had no idea. I knew I understood psychology, but that's because my mother's a therapist and my sister's a therapist and my brother-in-law is a therapist. So I knew I had a feel for that, which is what I studied. But then I really didn't know what to do from there. And anyway, um, you know, so I was was like the people that I work with. Which where, makes so much sense. Like, because yeah. you are now serving and supporting right. that version of you, you know? Which, right, exactly. Which, like brought you to your superpowers. <laughs> exactly, right. Yeah. And knowing knowing how badly that can feel mm. that, you know, you just don't know what you're doing. Um, but then, you know, so I think that those are the two big events in my life that really set me on this path, even though it sounds like a funny way to end up in another way. It, it's not at all. And it, it, you know, my history has allowed me to see things that um, maybe other people sometimes miss. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that comes out of live, you know, having trauma in your life is that you are, um, you have a very strong sixth sense that that's, you know, or an intuition yeah. And I never paid attention to it, but I it's part of what makes me good at what I'm doing. Um, so it's, that's like one of the ways that you, you know, a consequence of trauma that's actually becomes a strength. Um, so I, you know, I, I really um, started to pay attention to it and I noticed things and I picked up on things and um that was something that really helped propel me again towards counseling and, and doing that sort of work. And 
it also made me start asking the questions that I ask everybody. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I hope that That's, is helpful. Oh my gosh. So much. So Valerie and, and talk about um, resilience and strength that you, you got, you, you chose to after <laughs> probably not being aware of, but just to discover within yourself going through right. all of that. Um, I imagine you as a little girl and just, feeling but not not yet knowing what what you were feeling you know but just wanting to know more and then that's led you to this incredible curiosity you have and to be able right. to finally dive in and ask those questions um i'm i'm curious have you have you since um you've come into your your career a little bit more like had more conversation with your mom or do you find that um yeah is there yeah yeah, yeah. To, to dive into those conversations right so actually my mom died a year ago, which oh, was sad. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, she lived an amazing life. She was 90 years old. But but yes, definitely. And it, and it's, it's really interesting because I felt this ability to teach my mom something. And so I, an example is that I was doing a presentation, which I've done a lot on this subject. And I was rehearsing it with her because she's she was good with that um and all of a sudden i looked at her face and i could see that she was having a reaction her own reaction so i stopped and she looked at me like oh that's why blah 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 you know so she told me this story about um how would so she was i guess 10 or 11 when the war started and 15 when it ended 15 or 16 and um she had this little, I don't know if you would call it a job, but something that her mom encouraged her to do, which was to go to the subway stops in Paris where people would come up from the subway. And if she saw somebody who was a soldier to uh, give them, you know, either it was a coin or it was a piece of food. I can't really remember. And so she did that. And you know, you stop and think about that for a second. It's a pretty intense thing for a kid to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, so she did it and it was helping. That's what she felt like she was doing. So she, she saw a lot of injured soldiers, soldiers without legs, without arms, you know, um, injured who were coming out of the subway. And then when she went to, um, you know, in France, you have to take all these tests like you to go to college. And she went to take a test where you the way she described it is that you have to stand in front of these four very learned people and they ask you questions and she said that she couldn't pass the test and I said well why and she said because one of the professors was missing an arm wow and she kept flashing back to like then she realized the connection I said that's exactly what I'm talking about is that you're in this interview situation whether it's for school or it's for a job and you see something and you don't make that connection um so we talked about that and it was really interesting because a lot of other like i knew that she well she was 90 so she came through obviously at a different time than i did but there wasn't really much being talked about about trauma as she came through her schooling yeah. like there is now 
So yeah, we, you know, we talked about it a lot and she found it fascinating. And I felt this feeling like I could several times I was able to say to her, but I, you know, I think that is, um, you know, you disconnecting from a conversation. You could see it on her face. And I mean, of course she did. Right. Oh my gosh. Like, yes. Yeah. Or, yes, so yeah. Of, um, just the magnificent gift of healing, Valerie, that you, you both were able to experience just even in that particular moment, you know, I, I just, I'm feeling it. Um, like yeah. I have the chills right now for both of you, just through your journey, through her journey. And then, and then, you know, that you got to share that before she passed. Um, right. The, yeah, that, that I'm like envisioning kind of a light along a spectrum, like the healing kind of going in between both of you. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, what I'm left with is this sense of, so for my mom, like I said earlier, you know, silence and keeping everything quiet and under wraps. I mean, that's what people experience trauma do. They think, I'm, you know, I'm going to sound crazy or I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that. But, you know, I've sort of now I'm actually doing the opposite. Yeah. You know, I'm talking about it. And, you know, it's been interesting for me because sometimes talking about it in the past, I felt like cut off from that almost. And I think I mentioned this to you almost as if I was betraying my mom by talking about it. Mm, yeah. what, her experience, but just trauma, period, like bringing it up to the surface and that is what I'm trying to do, that there's this other piece of our lives where we're not talking about this. Yeah. And so, so many people are walking around feeling like, what's wrong with me when there isn't anything wrong with you? You just, we need to talk about this, yeah. this whole subject. And we're leaving out an entire half of a person's life with this opportunity to really reach full integration which is kind of ultimately the goal of trauma therapy um to really reach that kind of integration because we're leaving this part of the conversation out and i know it's a new idea and i know that people push against that you know i can feel it that people in you know the profession are pushing against it and i don't necessarily think people who are experiencing are doing are doing that but I know a lot of people have said to me I've never met someone who combines those two subjects you know trauma and work life and I just like I still am incredulous about that I don't even but it's time to talk about this yeah. because it's really going to help people to move forward in their lives and that's my, what I want to do I want to be that change agent and you are, which is so, so incredible. I mean, I feel it so powerfully from you just through this, the, the computer uh, screen, you know, and it's, it is such a gift, Valerie, because I think, yeah, you're helping people, whether people who are, who are really navigating trauma and their own trauma right. and or professionals um, awaken to the reality, right. you know, and, and I think of, you know, I think of Brene Brown with her whole thing around shame, like in order for shame to actually transmute, um, it, we, it has to be, it has to come out, you have to release it, you have to share it, you know, and, and the amount of people that I hope are listening, um, who might be, again, resonating with some of what you're saying, who, who are, who have, and maybe are experiencing trauma, to know that right. they're not alone, that there's nothing wrong with them, that they are, right 
they are enough and that actually they can learn how to love all those parts of themselves. To me, right. it's that whole, like, whole, yeah, like all those parts because we all have different right. parts and parts that we wish we could, you know, maybe in our past or maybe now, um, um, of, like, just, just tuck away, right? But it's learning that those parts and, and what it sounds like, and I love this about you, that you help people realize, actually, when you lean in and, and wrap your arms around those parts that um, experience trauma and pour love and compassion back to those parts, that's where you'll find the most strength. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And um, like I'm just listening to you and I'm just thinking, uh, even though I wish, you know, of course, I wish my mother didn't go through what she went through. I wish my dad didn't go through or I didn't go through. The fact of the matter is that we did, and I'm, I wouldn't do it any other way. Um, the gifts that I've gotten being my parents' daughter and, you know, going through the things that I've been through are powerful, you know, and I recognize that. I mean, sometimes I think that when you have these experiences, it, um, I mean, the, it does make you different. And that's a great thing. I mean, I'm definitely different than a lot of people I know. And, you know, I, I find like-minded people and I find really courageous people and I found work that I can do that honors it. Um, and I just, yeah, I love that idea of like pulling it to yourself and embracing it because it's so incredibly powerful. Um Instead of being afraid, yeah. Well, I was about to say, right, it's so natural to be so terrified and scared right. of those parts and, and even the process. Um, and what I love about this whole conversation and, and getting an opportunity to interview you, Valerie, is, is like you're, this is the work you're doing. You're helping people to recognize that, that they're, that, and, and you're providing like a, a safe, like sacred container for them to, exactly. to, to work on that healing and to, um, yeah, to find their strengths in that way. So it's yeah. absolutely powerful. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love what I do. And I really appreciate that you are inviting me to have this conversation because it's, it's, it, it's powerful and it's fun. Um, I agree. Yeah. You know, and to be able to reach out to people who may have been thinking something about themselves and say, no, 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 you know, here's another way to think about yourself. Um, you know, in this time when things sometimes seem really difficult and maybe even bleak, you know, I think there's a lot of, of great stuff that's happening right now. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um, so Valerie, with with that, like, how can people find you? Where can they find you? If, if people, if our listeners want to reach out or are curious right. to learn more. I mean, the best thing to do is I have a website. It's www.ValerieAshleyCounseling.com um, to go there. and You can read a little bit more about me and my credentials and that sort of thing. Um, and then there's also a way to contact me there. And that's probably the best and easiest way for okay. people to do that. Yeah. And I'll yeah. add that to the, the podcast notes. Too. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. And because I'm working virtually, it doesn't matter where you live. We can, which is another really is interesting huge. thing. Yeah. Right. Huge. You know, I work uh, virtually and um, so I can see, I, in fact, I'm going to be working with a woman who's in Australia. 
Wow. And that's been, yeah, but I was like, okay, that's interesting. I know, <laughs> so, I could wait, was the time change? Was it yeah, no, <laughs> I actually had this little time meter thing that you move along the scale and it says if it's your time, it's their time. Oh, that's so smart. Day. Yeah, so, <laughs> but yeah, but if there's somebody out there who needs help or feels like they just want to chat, that's fine too. And I'm, I would love to spread the word. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Valerie, for taking this time. It's been absolutely a joy and so fun to, to hear more about you and learn more from you. And um, yeah, I'd love to do this again sometime. Me too. Thanks, Annie. It's thank really you. great to talk to you too. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Okay. Yeah, thank you. Take care. You too. Bye.